Well, thank you so much. Thank you, choir, and then our praise team. Thank all of you for joining in and worshiping this morning. And so, uh, my goodness, it sounds good to have a house full of worshipers. And so it's good to come together and worship the Lord together. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, familiar passage. We're going to look at... Uh, uh, chapter 4, and we'll begin reading with verse 13 and following, well, through verse 18. First Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 13 through 18. If you would, let's look at that together. I'm going to share a sermon with you this morning, looking for the sun, looking for the sun. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We've been informed for some time now that tomorrow, August the 21st, 2017, we're going to experience a solar eclipse. The moon's going to cover the sun. It's going to pass in front of the sun. The sun and... Uh, Areas that are going to be directly affected, the sun will, will completely go black. We're told that it'll turn black. We'll to we're told that in those areas that birds will stop their chirping and bats will fly from caves thinking that it's night and roosters will begin to crow. California, the eclipse is expected to wipe out six gigawatts of solar energy. Now, six gigawatts will power several million homes, and so they're going to lose some electricity for a while. This is the first eclipse to go from sea to shining sea, from Oregon all the way across uh, to I believe, South Carolina. It's about 65-mile wide stretch there, the main path or the most visible, and will be affected in some way. There's no doubt the solar eclipse tomorrow will be the number one news headline uh, for days to come, months to come, maybe weeks or years to come. However, there's coming a day when our thoughts will not be on the S-U-N, but on the S-O-N, the Son of God. I'm going to quote Jason Hester. I guess he's kind of a popular guy. He didn't know I was going to do this, but I, I kind of keep my ears open around. And this is a quote by a famous person, Jason Hester. But I believe he's right on it. 
I wish people were concerned about the coming of Christ as much as they are about this goofy eclipse. Amen. He nailed it. I really think he nailed it. Do y'all have any problem understanding that quote? That's my kind of quote, Jason. Sermon today, looking for the S-O-N. Not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. I have to say thank you, Jason, for inspiring me with this sermon this morning. Looking for the S-O-N. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. Perhaps one of the best-known passages in 1 Thessalonians and perhaps one of the best-known passages in, in the Word. The passage is about the snatching away of the church or the rapture known as in theological circles the rapture of the church. Now, if you want to get some discussion going, if you want to get a crowd talking, if you want to get a lot of uh, opinions about a biblical passage, we'll begin discussing the rapture of the church or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. See, people want to know more about the future. They want to know more about their future. They'll turn to horoscopes. They'll turn to stock speculators, even to the farmer's almanac or Nostradamus. Any way that they can understand what their future is going to be. We want to know what the future holds, especially if it comes to our wealth, our IRAs or our 401ks or our retirement. We want to know about the future. However, despite of all the prognostications, if you're going to know about the future, you're going to have to need some help. Fortunately, God's Word provides us with the help that we need. Forget all the others. If you'll just turn to God's Word, I promise you, the all-knowing, the sovereign God can help you with any problem that you have, especially if you're worried about your future. The Bible paints a picture of God's plan for human history, including the ultimate fate of every person that's ever been born, those that exist today or those that will exist after us. Now, there's a problem in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant. Better translation for ignorant, you may have it, is I wouldn't have you to, to be misinformed. Don't want you to be ignorant. Paul said, don't want you to be ignorant or don't want you to be misinformed. You see, there was a misunderstanding by many of what happened to their loved ones after the time of death. They didn't quite understand what would happen to a person that died before the Lord came back. False teachers, we've talked about those known as apostates, they had crept into the church, slipped into the church, and they were teaching by circulating a false letter saying that it was from Paul, suggesting that the day of the Lord's judgment had already come. This is what they were teaching. False letter. wasn't by Paul. If you'll just turn a page or two over to 1 Thessalonians chapter Two, that's not on your screen, but it's right close by. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. 
Chapter 2, verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by gathering together, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, as at the day of Christ is at hand. So there's this false letter going around that the day of Christ had already come about. And herein, this false information and the persecution that they were experiencing at that time, some believed that their loved ones and they themselves had missed the rapture and they were experiencing the judgment of God. And so you had this misinformation going on that was causing a lot of problems because people think, well, I'm going through a difficult time right now with persecution. This must be the judgment of God. The problem was theological ignorance. Theological ignorance. Not knowing the Word of God. On a scale from 1 to 10, how do you feel your... How do you feel you relate to that scale in regards to being pretty sound in the Word of God? You give yourself a, a 7 or 8. Hey, I'm pretty sound in the Word of God. I study the Word. I'll attend Bible fellowship or Sunday school or discipleship training. Been doing it for years. I think I don't, I believe I could handle that. I wouldn't have been misled by that. Theological ignorance was leading a number of God's people to worry, to be confused, to be frustrated. Just think of all the sleepless nights that you and I have experienced in the past, those restless days, restless nights, worrying, and all I had to do was to view every circumstance that I was going through through the lens of God's Word. That's why Sunday school is important. That's why discipleship training is important. That's why Wednesday, Wednesday night devotional time and, and uh, uh, prayer time is important to keep us from being spiritual ignorant to God's Word. These people didn't know God's Word. And they'd hear something, they'd get all confused and shuck up. Now, let me just, nobody here but us, but some of you are going to continue to have a miserable, misinformed, frustrated life until you begin to view your life through the lens of God's Word. What God's Word says. If you have a question about something in your life, don't go ask a friend, especially those that are not Christians, the unbelievers. The Bible talks about having having spiritual counselors at least talk to someone that knows god's word if you're not satisfied with knowing god's word speak to someone that is i want to know what god wants me to do before i make this decision paul said let me tell you what the word of god says look at verse 15 for we for this we know now you know what the confusion's about then he says in verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now see, after, after he, he begins to tell them what the problem is, the spiritual ignorance, 
He says, listen, I'm going to tell you what God's Word says. And he says, he tells them in verses 14 through 17. And when he gets through telling them 14 through 17, he says this, verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Here's the point. There's a connection between encouragement and security and the exposition of God's Word. There's a connection between encouragement and security, and the exposition of God's Word. If you want to be encouraged, if you want to know why things are going the way they are in your life, go to God's Word. There's a connection there. Another illustration of this is found in Luke chapter 24. Jesus and his disciples, verses 13 through 35, I won't have time to read it, but if you'll go and and read, you've heard, perhaps heard it, read it before, but Jesus, after his resurrection, has taken a walk to Emmaus, and he comes up on two disciples. And these disciples are confused because they just heard that Jesus had been crucified. They were confused. They were cast down. They were depressed. They had a loss of hope. They thought their future was gone. Why was that? Because they failed to view the circumstance, their circumstance, through a biblical perspective. However, their perspective was dramatically changed. It was transformed. And you have their personal testimony in Luke 24, verse 32, when Jesus began to speak to them. Luke 24, verse 32. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the way and while he opened the scriptures to us? See the correlation? Encouragement, understanding through the exposition of scripture. Only scripture can trans... It can only transform your heart this way. Only Scripture can do that. No wonder David exclaimed in Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. Drop that, drop that number down. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. My goodness. Now let me say this, Paul's instruction is meant to be more pastoral than theological. He's tr- they're grieving, they're upset about their family members, and he's coming not to be theological, but just saying, listen, you don't have to worry about your family members. I'm going to share with you what the Lord himself said. It was more consoling of someone that was grieving. So his instruction is more pastoral. His concern is to give pastoral exhortation to a grieving church and really not provide some uh, theological discussion about the coming of the Lord. Therefore, with that said, don't miss the point. Here's the point. God's promises about tomorrow enable us to live a hopeful life today. That's the point. That was the point of him sharing with the the Thessalonica church. God's promises of tomorrow, about tomorrow, enable us to live a hopeful life today. 
They didn't know what God had promised. They didn't know the Word of God. So first of all, there is a problem, spiritual ignorance. And then they were ignorant about death. 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 And so he begins to address this fundamental question that they had and that we have today. What happens when a person dies? That was just a fundamental question they had. It's what we have today. What happens to a person? What happens to a Christian when they die? What happens to a lost person when they die? If you'll notice, three times Paul refers to Christians who sleep. See that? In verse 13, he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. In verse 14, even so them also which sleep. In verse 15, he says that this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain will not prevent, uh, remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So three times he mentions the word asleep. Now he's talking about death. So remember this. He uses the word sleep as a euphemism for death. When you die, <laughs> the euphemism, some people say, they're asleep. That's what biblical writers said. That's even what Jesus said at one time. So he recognizes the grief and the confusion of these Thessalonians, and he's trying to address their question about what happens to the Christian at the time of death, those who die before the return of Christ. Now, the word sleep, I mentioned, was used to describe death by a number of biblical uh, authors, also including Jesus. Example, Matthew 9, verse 24. He said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but she sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. Jesus said those words. Matthew 27, verse 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. In Mark 5, verse 39, And when he was coming to, he said unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? This damsel is not dead, but she sleepeth. Then also you can jot down John 11, Acts 7, verse 60, and the best passage of all is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Sleep. But sleep, now remember, is never final. It's always temporary. I went to sleep last night. But I got up this morning. You went to it's not final. It's just it's just for a while. So Paul uses the word sleep to refer specifically to the human body being asleep. I mean, when believers die, the body sleeps. Uh, Paul's not referring to soul sleep. Some people say your soul sleeps. Your soul doesn't sleep. There's nowhere in the Bible that teaches soul sleep. Speaks about the body sleeping. The body is at ease. The body is asleep. Soul sleep is never taught in Scripture. On the contrary, the Bible uh, affirms the eternal cons the consciousness of every person. Your consciousness is going to go with you to the grave. Do you know that? It's going to go beyond the grave. With that in mind, the point is there's never going to be a time that a person ceases to exist. You'll have your conscience that you have now. You'll have it when you die. They'll put your body in the grave. It'll be asleep. 
but your soul will still be conscious wherever it is. This is the true of believer, and this is the true, also true of the unbeliever. For example, when a believer dies, the body goes to the grave, the spirit goes directly to the presence of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul reminds us, we're confident, I say, rather willing to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. The body's in the cemetery, sleep. The soul is wide awake, conscious at its eternal abode. So in contrast, when the believer dies, he goes to heaven. She goes to heaven. When the lost person dies, the body goes to the grave, but the, spirits go, the spirit goes immediately to hell, Luke chapter 16. Now the question is, no, or the point, nowhere does the Bible teach that a person loses his conscious awareness when he or she dies or what's happening to them after they die. You're going to know all about it. Believe me. The point is, at death, your existence does not end. You'll know all about it. Your physical body goes to sleep, but your spiritual or your spirit continues to exist. And then one day, your body's going to be reunited with your spirit in a glorified form. First John 3, verse 2. Listen to what he says. Beloved, now we're, not, we're the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. So we're going to go to sleep, our body is, our soul's going to be with, in heaven with Jesus, it's going to be in hell, separated from God. But one day, the body is going to be raised. For the Christian, death is not the final word. Please remember that. Remember, your body may sleep in the grave, but uh, there's awakening going to take place. Look at it that way. You're going to hear a trumpet, you're going to wake up, the body's going to wake up. When that trumpet sounds, and because of that fact, these Thessalonian Christians, and you and I, we have every reason to be hopeful and optimistic about death. Well, how can we be sure about that, Brother Sammy? Well, look at verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. There it is. How can I be sure? I'm telling you, Paul said, I'm sharing this because of the word of the Lord. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Now, some commentators believe that a specific word from the Lord had been revealed to Paul. And, it's not, and that's, that account's not written in the Bible. They, they believe that. Some believe that Paul had been given a special insight about future, future events that would take place. That's speculation, all that speculation. But just remember, the reason for Paul writing was because God's people were confused by this misinformation, this false teaching. And so the point is, Paul wanted them to know that he was speaking on behalf of God. For this we know, he says in verse 15. For we say this unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord... He said, this, this is from the Lord. And so there was a problem, there was misinformation, there's a theological uh, ignorance that led to fear, doubt, and discouragement, and hopelessness. And let me close with this. There's a future promise. Now, the future promise, the coming of the Lord, that's the promise. Verse 15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. 
shall not prevent them which are asleep. So there's a promise. Now, without question, the Bible teaches that Jesus is coming again. Do y'all believe Jesus is coming again? Say amen. I believe you do. 23 out of 27 books in the New Testament state that Jesus is coming. One out of 30 verses in the New Testament speaks of his coming. For every biblical reference of his first coming, that he's going to be born, and he was born, for every biblical reference of his first coming, you have eight references of his coming again. Clearly, the Bible writers didn't want us to miss the truth. The truth is Jesus is coming. So if you get anything out of this today, just remember Jesus is coming back for his church. And the coming of Jesus was never to be a subject of speculation, opinions, but truth. Jesus is coming. Whether you believe it, whether you accept it, it really doesn't matter, see. Jesus is coming. So the coming of Jesus is to be a reason for motivation and anticipation. It should be motivation for you and me to serve him. It should be anticipation for us to look for him. I get up a lot of morning and say, you know, this would be a good day for the Lord to come back. Tomorrow would really, really, really be a shocker to some. Man, you're talking about change of direction. Church goes up. Christians disappear. <laughs> Who's thinking about the blooming sun at that time, you know, when everybody's going out? So the coming in verse 15 is referred to as the parousal, the parousal. The word points to the arrival. It's a Greek word that points to the arrival of an important person or a dignitary. A dignitary the coming of the Lord. So we're, we're to be watching and waiting and looking and expecting the day when Christ himself comes. We're not to be looking at the S-U-N. We're to be looking for the S-O-N, the Son of God. So you have a problem, theological ignorance. You have a future promise. He's coming. This is the first time that I can remember ever preaching about the coming of the Lord and ever really finished about the coming of the Lord. So part two is going to be next week. And when we talk about the trumpet and the dead and Christ and all that, that'll be next week. I just couldn't get it all in. But here's the invitation. We're finished. Are you looking for the sun, S-O-N? Are you looking for the sun, are you looking for the sun in expectation? Are you looking for the sun in dread? What if he came back today? Are you expecting him to come back? So excited about it? Or you kind of have this dread, oh my goodness, what if he does come today? You see, when the believer and the unbeliever dies, their physical body is laid to rest. That's why we call it sleep. It's laid to rest. But the soul goes to be goes to its eternal abode, where it'll be forever. For the believer in heaven, for the unbeliever in hell. You never, never, never lose your, your conscious awareness. You never, never cease to exist. And so today people are preparing to look at the SUN, and tomorrow they're going to be buying special glasses. I've already bought those. Many of them have. There's a few left. There's a place in Huntsville you can pick up a pair if you want to drive up there and get them. And I know there'll be a rush on. You'll go blind if you don't. Okay? Just telling you. And they'll drive. I, 
I, I listened to a guy on the radio coming from Canada. I understood there's 4 million people flying into the United States just to see this tomorrow. They're preparing for the S-U-N. But the question is, are you prepared to see the Son of God today? What if he comes early? Wouldn't that be cool? What if he, what if he beat the sun, the eclipse of the S-U-N? Would you be willing today, without Christ, would you be willing to say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and if you came back today, I'd miss that trip. If you came back for your church and a trumpet sound, your people went up. You know, lost people's not going to see him. They're just going to see everybody leaving. He's coming back wherever I's going to see him one day. But this is just going to be called up into the cloud type thing. Would you be willing to confess, Lord, I'm just an old sinner? If I die, I'm going to split hell wide open. I've had a lot of people tell me that. Would you be willing to admit that you're a sinner, confess your sins, and then turn from your sins and turn to this person by the name of Jesus, ask him to forgive you and come into your life and save you. You don't want to miss that trip. Believe me. You know, you, I heard today that in four years, well, longer than four, uh, that'd be seven years, 2024, 20, I think. This is going to happen again. You know, it's going to happen again. Solar eclipse is going to happen again. You'll have, you have another opportunity. But you're going to see that. You, that's going to happen again. However, there's, there's, this will be the only appearance by the Son of God when he comes and he catches and calls his church up into the cloud. Don't miss that trip. Be looking for the Son. Let's bow our heads.